culture to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day and a great nation. Despite the fact that there is a great controversy about whether President Biden was telling the truth yesterday when uh, he had stated actually his uh, uh, his taping, his interview was with 60 Minutes, was broadcast on Sunday. He, uh, he said the pandemic is over. Now there are loads of experts, including two of the nation's uh, most respected and most influential liberal newspapers, the Washington Post and the New York Times, they're saying Biden's wrong. The pandemic is not over. Uh, Meanwhile, there are other diseases that are rearing their heads and causing a great deal of controversy. There is the U.S. Justice Department is taking on a fraudulent effort to steal $250 million to pay for boats and cars and all kinds of goodies for the people perpetrating the steal, that uh, they are going after people who used pandemic funds to feed poor kids and to keep them healthy, who used these funds for their personal enrichment. They're 47 suspects who are uh, being investigated and uh, prosecuted. We will get to that. There's also news that good old STDs, uh, normal, old-fashioned, socially transmitted, sexually transmitted diseases, syphilis, gonorrhea, and more, are up by 700%. What is the deal? They actually related in this medical school study, they related to an increase in drug use, including marijuana and uh, booze. Uh, Really? And uh, then you speak about a disease. A lot of people look at television as a long-term disease. There's commentary that the reign of Queen Elizabeth marks the beginning and the end of the era of television as a dominant force in our society. Sheer coronation in 1953 was, many people felt, the first worldwide uh, televised event that people watched virtually everywhere with great fascination. And that her funeral at the end of her 70-year reign may be the end of the television era they're also now that the queen is laid to rest and they are now looking forward to the coronation of King Charles III. People are learning to say God save the king instead of God save the queen. All of that is happening and inevitably, and you knew this had to happen, there are people popping out everywhere suggesting uh, that the queen was not so great, that Britain is not so great that reparations are in fact due. Uh, That uh, claim and the answers to it we will also get to on the Medved Show. And two distinguished historians suggest that the idea of a U.S. Civil War uh, not so far-fetched. In fact, they believe that there may be hints that it is almost beginning Right now, we will get to that idea uh, based upon an article on the Hill website about whether civil war is coming again for a round two. 
1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. To uh, talk first uh, a little bit about the the negative reaction by some, and, and by the way, and this represents, I think, a very small minority of people in the world, people certainly in the world of Great Britain and around the world, uh, looked at uh, a Queen Elizabeth with gratitude and reverence and, and really something that is very clearly related to love, but not Clive Irving, who was one of the Queen's biographers. He actually wrote a number of scandal-oriented books about the royal family. He, um, he said this uh, about the funeral and all of the the stirring of the emotions all around the world concerning Her Majesty the Queen, he thought that the entire procedure was nothing more than a facade. Listen, clip 14. And this legacy, um, it requires something that I haven't seen coming from the Windsor family at any stage uh, in recent history, which is it requires atonement. It, it, it requires acknowledgement of the true cost to those colonies of slavery, which began under Charles II in 1666, because he founded this thing with a very innocent title called the Royal Africa Company, which actually concealed a very evil enterprise, which was shipping slaves from Africa to uh, the Caribbean colonies. Um, about a quarter of those slaves died before they got there, chained below the decks. Uh, and then that was subsequently succeeded by colonial societies uh, leading right through to the 20th century in which the crown played the part of head of state. So although you can't lay the cost of slavery, the human cost and the terrible other cost of slavery at the doors of the, of the present monarchy or even at the Queen, the institution, the crown itself, is responsible. There's a continuity going right through to now. Okay, this is entirely bogus. This is entirely wrong. He was on MSNBC, of course. And uh, when he says that uh, King Charles II started the institution of slavery in 1666, it's ridiculous. The Spaniards, and particularly the Portuguese, who were the biggest slave traders, the Dutch were much bigger, big, bigger and earlier slave traders than the British. Uh, back in the 1500s, not going forward to 1666, the British were notable for being the first country to abolish slavery. They were never notable for being big slave traders worldwide. By the way, the American colonies even less. Uh, only about 4% of the total number of 12 million, and yes, that 12 million number is real and it's horrifying, that's the number of people who were enslaved in Africa and uh, then sold off and taken across the Atlantic Ocean into the New World. 96% uh, of them went to somewhere other than the British colonies on, in North America. Yes, a lot of them went to British possessions in the Caribbean. Uh, a lot of them went to Brazil, Portuguese possession in South America and elsewhere. The, the idea that this was a unique British guilt somehow or American guilt is just wrong. And that's why Don Lemon in his new morning time slot, apparently, uh, challenging a royal commentator, his name is Hillary Fordich, 
uh, about reparations didn't gain too much in the way of credibility or energy or sense. This is clip eight, Don Lemon. Well, this is coming when, you know, there's all of this wealth and you hear about it comes as England is facing rising costs of living, a living crisis, austerity budget cuts and so on. And then you have those who are asking uh, for reparations for colonialism. And they're wondering, you know, one hundred billion dollars, twenty four billion dollars here and there, five hundred million there. Some people want to be paid back and uh, and members of the public are wondering, why are we suffering when you are you know, you have all of this vast wealth. Those are legitimate concerns. Um, they are legitimate concerns about well, you have all of this last worth and there are people elsewhere who are suffering. Uh, there was an answer provided, which I will play for you, which is actually fairly masterful by uh, Hillary Fortich, uh, a royal commentator who answers Don Lemon. There's uh, also comments by Bill Maher that are directly relevant to this argument. Plus the question, will all this contribute uh, to the civil war that some people think is coming immediately? There's also uh, signs of uh, new trouble in the Middle East with a, uh, <laughs> the Iranian president, Raisi, uh, questioning uh, the documentation or the proof that the Holocaust actually happened. We will get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, James Poniowick, who is the... Uh, TV critic for the New York Times uh, wrote one last broadcast for a monarch whose reign paralleled the rise of TV, talking about the funeral of Queen Elizabeth. Television introduced Queen Elizabeth II to the world. He writes, it was only fitting that television should see her out of it. The Queen's seven-decade reign almost exactly spanned the modern TV era. Her coronation in 1953 began the age of global video spectacles. Her funeral on Monday was a full-color pageant accessible to billions. And this is fascinating when you think of it. The, the last funeral service for a British monarch before this was for King George VI. It was not televised. That was in 1953. That was the father of... Queen Elizabeth, may she rest in peace. For one last time, Elizabeth was the first. She entered the world stage through the new magic of broadcasting as a resolute young face. She departed it as a bejeweled crown on a purple cushion, transmuted finally into pure visual symbol. Americans who woke up early Monday, or stayed up in sometime zones, saw striking images aplenty on every news network. The breathtaking God's eye view from above the coffin in Westminster Abbey, the continuous stream of world leaders, the thick crowds along the procession to Windsor, flinging flowers at the motorcade. The corgis, her beloved little yippy dogs. Uh, okay, so the answer to Don Lemon 
uh, and Don Lemon had raised the question, with all this supreme wealth and the jewels and the possessions and the, the way that this royal family has been able to live, don't they need to pay back some kind of reparations to those former colonial possessions of Great Britain, which I guess would include Canada? Well, the United States, you could say they've already paid back by uh, granting us our independence after we beat them in uh, the war of 1775 to 1783. But, uh, okay, here is the answer from a royal commentator, Hillary Fordich, on uh, CNN to Don Lemon. Uh, that's clip nine. Well, I think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it, though, what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain. Where was the beginning of the supply chain? That was in Africa. And when that crossed the entire world, when the slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, in Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2,000 naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery. Why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people. They had them on cages waiting in the beaches. No one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages. Absolutely. That's where they should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died at the, in the high seas trying to stop the slavery, that those families should receive something too, I think, at the same time. Okay. Uh, by the way, it's, it's preposterous, of course, to make the suggestion she did, but not entirely so. There was a piece in Wall Street Journal several years ago, the big piece, where they actually interviewed some of the African families. They were noble families. They were families that were very prominent and were prominent 500 years ago. But uh, some of those leading families, including African royalty, who had initiated the slave trade, they were the ones who kidnapped the slaves. I mean, one of the things, if you actually read history, responsible history, this was not a question of European people going into the African interior, uh, burning villages and then seizing people and carrying them across the ocean. It was a matter of local African warlords and royalty who went into those villages, kidnapped people, and brought them and held them in cages on the beaches uh, until they could sell them to Europeans. So the, the guilt there for other African people is simply undeniable. Uh, she goes on in her comment, uh, second comment, about this question of uh, uh, reparations. Listen. is uh, a um, uh, actually a matter that continues to be debated. There is also commentary about this desire to bring everything up to uh, the present, the idea of presentism. Bill Maher, in his show over the weekend, uh, had uh, the... Uh, really the last word, it seems to me, and a very important commentary on the left tendency to try to abuse and reshape and bend out of shape history uh, 
uh, for the sake of controlling the present. This is clip 18A. History books, that's not supposed to be fan fiction. How we teach our kids history has become a big controversy these days with liberals accusing conservatives of wanting to whitewash the past and sometimes that's true, sometimes they do. But plenty of liberals also want to abuse history to control the present. And last month a scholar named James Sweet caught hell for calling them out for doing just that. He criticized the phenomenon known as presentism which means judging everyone in the past by the standards of the present. It's the belief that people who lived 100 or 500 or 1,000 years ago really should have known better. <laughs> Being woke is like a magic moral time machine where you judge everybody against what you imagine you would have done in 1066 and you always win. <laughs> Presentism. Yeah, this professor is right. It's just a way to congratulate yourself about being better than George Washington because you have a gay friend and he didn't. And uh, he goes on to talk about some excesses at a school in Portland. Uh, listen, this is clip 18B. Portland Public Schools has a plan now to teach kids that the idea of gender being mainly binary was brought here by white colonizers the curriculum guide says when the united states was colonized by white settlers their views around gender were forced upon the people already living here <gasps> not even star trek would try that story <laughs> where they discover a planet and give them separate bathrooms <laughs> it's like they finally discovered a unified theory of wokeness incorporating all their ideas about race gay, gender, and colonizers, like the New World was a great big diverse dance club and the Pilgrims were the bridge and tunnel crowd who came in and ruined everything. <laughs> it, it is extraordinarily peculiar, and I hope that there will be enough pressure raised so that the school district in Portland uh, abandons the idea that native tribes had no concept of gender. There's actually evidence of all kinds of native indigenous oppression of women, including depriving them of their teeth. But let's not get into that. We will be right back on The MedVet Show. Michael Medved show the idea of using the past to try to control or direct the present uh, bringing up uh, past wrongs or a history of past wrongs or a history of past misrepresentations uh, obviously the most grotesque attempt to try to distort or erase history at least in recent years has involved what is called Holocaust denial. The, the notion that the extraordinarily intricate and largely successful desire to massacre Jewish people by the Nazi regime uh, is somehow a fiction, that this is somehow made up, that all those dead relatives and uh, dead families, entire families that are memorialized in places like the United States 
Holocaust Museum in Washington or Yad Vashem, which is the comprehensive Israeli Holocaust Museum in uh, Jerusalem, that uh, all of this is, is fraudulent and it's based on nothing. And Leslie Stahl, uh, the American newswoman, had the opportunity to interview the current Iranian president, who is known as something of a hardliner. And this at a time when the situation in Iran is extremely perilous. I mean, uh, first of all, we are about to say farewell, one hopes, to the desire by the Biden administration to revise the accord with Iran. One of the problems that they have is that the supreme leader, who's 85, uh, that would be the Ayatollah Khamenei, that uh, he has just had surgery for bowel cancer and uh, has been suffering a lot and uh, may not, uh, who, who knows, it's possible that as his age, his condition, uh, they may be seeking a replacement as supreme leader and one can only imagine what that is going to be. Um, here is uh, Leslie Stahl's question to the Iranian President Raisi. Listen. Do you believe the Holocaust happened? That six million Jews were slaughtered? Look, historical events should be investigated by researchers and historians. There are some signs that it happened. If so, they should allow it to be investigated and researched. So you're not sure. I'm getting that. You're not sure. What about Israel's right to exist? You see, the people of Palestine are the reality. This is the right of the people of Palestine who are forced to leave their houses and motherland. Okay. Uh, in other words, not acknowledge a right of the state of Israel, which... Um, uh, has been fought for, uh, built up, uh, and not built up beginning in 1948. There was in the territory that was uh, originally part of the original state of Israel, at the time of the Declaration of Israeli Independence in May of 1948, was already a Jewish majority. And it did not require the movement of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who, by the way, ran away from war more than that they were forcibly moved out. In Israel, uh, the, uh, the new Iranian Holocaust denial, the idea that they should allow it to be researched and investigated, it's been researched, it's been investigated. They have literally hundreds of thousands of eyewitness testimonies from Germans who participated in the final solution. Uh, the uh, story says leaders across Israel's political defense and diplomatic spectrum were swift to castigate President Raisi's comments. The Prime Minister, Yair Lapid, reacted by posting graphic photographs of the Holocaust on his official Twitter account under the pointed headline, uh, Some Signs. The uh, Premier's father, uh, Tommy Lapid, was a Holocaust survivor. Uh, President Isaac Herzog of Israel posted the image he presented on Holocaust Remembrance Day of the tattooed arm of Holocaust survivor Dora Drybelt Eisenberg entwined with the hand of her great-granddaughters 
against the backdrop of an Israeli flag and a symbol of victory over the attempted Nazi genocide. Uh, Mr. Raisi, on my desk in Jerusalem, there is one photograph, Herzog wrote, emphasizing that the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, amid, amid an official visit to the Auschwitz-Birkenau extermination camp in Poland, the IDF chief of staff, uh, Lieutenant General Aviv Kochavi, commented, you don't need to be a historian or a researcher to understand the horrors of the Holocaust. You need to be a human being. I think that's true. In reference to Iran's intransigence over resuming compliance with the renegotiated version of the 2015 Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action nuclear deal, Israel's top military commander also stressed that whoever lies and denies the truth of this painful and concrete history easily lies today and naturally will lie in the future. This is yet another reminder that these kind of people uh, must be prevented from attaining any capability of any type to develop weapons of mass destruction. Uh, branding Raisi as a despicable anti-Semite, uh, Dani Dayan of the Yad Vashem World Holocaust Remembrance Center, which is that, uh, it's actually it's a magnificent museum in Jerusalem, stress that uh, even casting doubts on the occurrence of the Holocaust is one of the most abhorrent and vile forms of anti-Semitism. You think? Uh, and, and again, it, it hits families very directly. Uh, the siblings of my grandfather uh, and their children were slaughtered uh, in 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 the genocide uh, that and that in Ukraine uh, fortunately uh, my mother and her family got out of Germany but it's too uh, too close and too immediate and too absurd and uh, the the desire of the nation of Iran to basically question the Holocaust is truly bizarre but then there's um, there's Rashida Talib. Uh, she sat down with her favorite uh, branch of media, Al Jazeera, and bragged about getting other Democrats to oppose Israel. This is clip four. You never could imagine this many people coming to the House floor to say, I am not going to support the Iron Dome funding. I am not going to support continuing nation unconditional aid. Never could have imagined. People thought it was literally political uh, murder. That's literally, if you speak up against Palestinian human rights and condemn the abuses by the Israeli government and demand conditioning aid to Israel, you won't get elected again. That's kind of the, the myth out there. And that myth has completely been mashed over and over again by the election of myself and so many of our other colleagues that continue to speak up against those abuses. Okay, uh, again, she's opposed to funding for Iron Dome. The purpose of Iron Dome is to shoot down missiles that are aimed at civilians, at kindergartens, at, uh, at um, apartment buildings, at old age homes. At, I mean, it's, it's insane. The whole purpose of Iron Dome is not to oppress anybody, it's to save lives. And by the way, that system has been used to save American lives. 
where you have uh, some of the um, same Palestinian-aligned terrorists like Hezbollah, which is basically a functionary for Iran and the Iranian regime, that have uh, attempted to regularly attack um, American GIs, who uh, an American outpost in Syria and elsewhere. Uh, there is more, and uh, again, having to do with the past and distorting it for present purposes. We will be right back on the Medved Show. Michael Medved show concerning this latest controversy regarding the incredibly benighted, brutal uh, 12th century regime in uh, Iran. They've been struggling to get up to that 13th century, haven't quite made it yet. Uh, the uh, Jerusalem Post has a piece by Seth Franzman. I don't know who that is. But uh, the Jerusalem Post is the leading English language newspaper in Israel. And uh, Seth Fransman writes, there is something strange that in the year 2022, yeah, we're st still in the year 2022 waiting for midterm election. There's something strange that in the year 2022, we are still debating whether the Holocaust happened merely because the Iranian regime gets the privilege to push this messaging via Western media. Is the correct response to someone who pushes misinformation and racism to refute racism by legitimizing it? For instance, if the ruler of a country went on American television in a relaxing interview and said that people of color were inferior or that slavery never happened, would the best response be to put up images of slavery? Or would a better response be to wonder why these, review, these views are being given at this stage in the first place? It's well known, he writes, that the Iranian regime has made racist, anti-Semitic, Holocaust denial a part of its messaging for decades. Why purposely ask about this offensive topic? And when he says part of its messaging... They had a world festival. This was about 10 years ago where, do you remember there was all this um, uh, controversy regarding Mohammed cartoons and it, it led to a murderous rampage in Denmark because a Danish newspaper had run a, a Mohammed cartoon. Uh, and then Ahmadinejad, the then president of Iran, answered that by holding a world festival of anti-Holocaust cartoons that basically show the Holocaust as, a, as if this had something to do with the Danish newspaper, which was not a Jewish newspaper, it was a Danish newspaper that had mocked Mohammed, peace be upon him, right? Uh, okay, it is well known that the Iranian regime has made racist, anti-Semitic Holocaust denial a part of its messaging for decades. Yes, that is well known. Why purposely ask about this offensive topic, as Leslie Stahl did? Why give the regime not just the platform to deny the Shoah, which is the Hebrew word for Holocaust, but then make these, that, that the central tweet about the interview? And why respond to this racism by legitimizing it 
saying that the Holocaust did happen rather than dismissing the Iranian regime as a racist, far-right, ranting one that murders its own people. And uh, the answer really is that there are too many people who still nurture some of the core beliefs of anti-Semitism. And you see that most clearly in the QAnon movement, where they go back to the ancient blood libel, which basically started in uh, the 11th century. And speaking of the 11th century, uh, there's also Rashida Tlaib. She, she went on not to question the Holocaust, thank God, but to use that, that old target that Israel was an apartheid state. Uh, listen, and this is clip two. I don't believe there's a pathway. I mean, somebody can show me how. Uh, but I don't think there's a pathway for two-state with uh, the apartheid system that is happening in Israel right now. Okay, there is no uh, uh, pathway to a two-state solution, to a solution which is what the UN called for, by the way, in 1947, and which all of the Israeli leadership, the Zionist leadership, agreed to, which is you have a tract of land here which the British are giving up, the British Empire is going home, and divide the land between the Palestinian residents and the Jewish residents to between Israel and Palestine. If that had been accepted in 1947 as it was by David Ben-Gurion and the other Zionist leaders, it would have been no series of wars. But it wasn't accepted because, like Rashida Tlaib is saying, she doesn't want to see Israel exist at all. The idea that Israel is an apartheid state they're never ever in apartheid South Africa were members of the Supreme Court or members of the cabinet who were Arabs. Uh, an Israeli Arab Islamist party was part of the most recent government and is running actively to win votes. In fact, there are more Arab parties than ever before to win votes from the 20% of Israeli citizens who do vote and vote in very high numbers. Uh, who happened to be Palestinian Arabs. Uh, the idea that, uh, that Israel is an apartheid state ignores the fact that you can go who are both Jewish and Muslim, and yes, some Christian Arabs as well, who participate. Uh, the, the idea of apartheid in Israeli life is ridiculous for anyone who chooses to even walk around Jerusalem a little bit a little bit and outside the old city if you go to uh they have a a new uh sort of shopping area with a lot of restaurants and nightlife and it's fascinating what you can see in israel on a a saturday night after the sabbath and you will see secular uh israelis you will see Haredim, uh, people dressed in black with sometimes broad-brimmed hats with their families, very often, uh, going out to get ice cream or a bite to eat or a meal or to be shopping. They have an Apple store there. And you will see tons of Palestinians because <laughs> there is no apartheid in Israel. It doesn't exist. Apartheid means that if you are black, you cannot be a full citizen. You cannot vote. You cannot be represented in government. You cannot go to the universities or the colleges. 
And yes, the apartheid system was evil. And it's one of those things that during a period of democratization, when the Soviet Union was falling and collapsing and East Germany and uh, Russian and communist domination being removed from uh, the Baltic republics, from uh, Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania and from Poland and, and, and freedom was sweeping the world. And yes, it also swept South Africa. But uh, the idea that um, that this is no longer happening, we're moving in a worse direction. There's material about diseases in the U.S. And no, it's not just COVID-19, but there's a lot of pushback from leading uh, legacy media. A pushback against President Biden saying that uh, the pandemic is over. We will get to that on the Michael Medved show. We'll also uh, take a look at uh, one of some of those other diseases that are plaguing the country. One of them extremely serious and very desperate for the country's future. And that's the disease of depression, which is a mental illness. They now estimate that among teenagers in the United States, uh, more than one out of five experience clinical depression which predisposes them toward suicide and breakdowns and all kinds of problems later in life. There's also a huge increase, 700% increase in syphilis and other uh, venereal diseases, sexually transmitted diseases is what they call them now. And then that question about the Civil War. Is uh, America, should America be prepared to uh, to experience or to head off another civil war we will get to that and uh, a, a declaration by um, Russia actually it's by the, uh, the the woman who's a commentator on government-sponsored TV in Russia who is called uh, uh, Putin's uh, propaganda doll uh, she has said that uh, that the Russian government should have used the funeral of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth as a target for a nuclear strike. And that way Putin could have wiped out all of who he perceives to be the bad guys in one blow. Uh, what are some of the more scary desires of the Putin regime? We will get to that and much more all coming up as we should remain thankful that we live in this greatest nation on God's green earth.